a little bit of the house lights on back there, Dylan? That way I can see. Awesome. Um, how's everybody doing? Good? Good. Good to see you. Um, so, wow, I doubled my water bottle. Um, so, just so everyone is on the same page, we will have some uh, Revive and Jamaica announcements at the end. So, um, just if, if those are things that you're thinking about, keep thinking about them. But um, the past couple weeks, for the past two weeks, we've been in a series on the Holy Spirit. Most of you, if you've been to church, like have an idea of the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit is or who the Holy Spirit is, but um, it's just not talked about a ton. And especially like if you come from like more of a conservative church that's like maybe a little bit less charismatic, the Holy Spirit isn't really mentioned very often. Do you know what I mean when I say charismatic? Can you give me like a yes or a no? No? Okay. A church that is more charismatic is exactly kind of what we're going to be getting into tonight. They have different beliefs regarding um, the miraculous gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the miraculous gifts and the Holy Spirit and how those things work in the lives of a believer. Um, and yeah, we're just going to start there. And I am going to be honest with you. Some of it is really just confusing. Like, it is just confusing. And there are people that believe, like, way different things. Like, some people believe, and they're way over here, and some people believe something that's way over here. But the important thing that's really, 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 really important for us to understand about miraculous gifts specifically, when I say miraculous gifts, I'll get into it. You'll figure out what they are later. Um, but when I say miraculous gifts specifically, um, or the thing that's important for us to understand about the miraculous gifts is no matter what you believe, it, it doesn't necessarily have an impact on whether or not you can be a Christian, okay? So that term in theology or in doctrine is called salvific. So if something is salvific, it is directly related to your salvation. So like, for example, the, Jesus. Jesus died on a cross and he rose again. That is a salvific thing. You have to believe that in order to be a Christian. In order to have salvation, you have to believe that. So that's something that's salvific, okay? However, miraculous gifts is not necessarily something that your salvation depends on. Like if you believe one thing, you're saved. And if you believe something else about uh, miraculous gifts, you're not saved. That's not how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work. So this is an issue in the church where people can have tons of different varying views because the Bible might not be crystal clear on it, and that's okay. There can be Christians that have a completely different view than me, and they are still my brothers and sisters in Christ. So that being said, if there is a church that you are used to going to or there's a church that you've been to, and you're like, wow, that was a really different experience than what I experience on a normal Sunday. Or maybe you come here, and you're like, wow, that's a really different experience than what I normally experience at church. Um, that's fine. That doesn't mean that we're not like brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean that I'm not a Christian or you're not a Christian or other people aren't Christians. Um, it's just important for us to understand. So um, we're going to go through some different stuff tonight. It's a little bit different. And I'm just going to be real. Like m my PowerPoint skills tonight were not strong. Okay. So I realize that. Uh, just let's just ride it out. Okay. Uh, they aren't super strong, but we're going to roll through it. So the first thing is 
The gifts of the Holy Spirit. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? First off, um, we have, there's four primary passages in scripture that you can remember that talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? So, my encouragement to you, I learned this too late in life. It's not hard to remember, right? You've got two twelves and you've got two fours. This is where the gifts of the Spirit are mentioned in scripture. So, you've got 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Two twelves, two fours, not hard to remember, but when someone asks you or you're like, I need to freshen up on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that's where you would go. Two twelves, two fours, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, and 1 Peter, okay? So that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time this evening, um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, do we all have spiritual gifts? Yes, we do. We all have spiritual gifts, okay? So we have all been given spiritual gifts. According to 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the building of the body, right? A body, a physical body is made up of a bunch of different parts. That's the comparison that we're given in 1 Corinthians, okay? So you have the eye, you have the ear, you have the nose, you have the mouth. They're all different things, and they all have different functions, okay? So the same thing is true with the body. We've all been given different spiritual gifts to build up the body, to be a part of the church. Now, one of the things that some churches will teach is that everyone has to have a specific gift of the Holy Spirit in order to be saved. That is an evidence of salvation. Specifically what I'm talking about is there are some churches or there are some people that believe that all Christians, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the gift of tongues. Okay? There, and there are churches that believe that. There are a lot of churches that believe that. Um, that's not necessarily something that we see in Scripture, that every single Christian has to be gifted with the exact same gift. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30, it clearly says that we're not all given the same gifts. And so it's important for us to know that if you are told that you don't have the gift of tongues, so therefore you are not a Christian, that, or you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, that's, that's not necessarily true, biblically speaking. There might be some churches that that's something they believe, but according to Scripture and according to 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30, that's not, that's not the case. There can be people that are filled with tongues and have that gift, and there can be people that have a different gift, and that's okay, okay? So um, just because you do not have one specific gift does not mean you are not a Christian. Uh, the next thing that I want to look at is um, why do we have spiritual gifts? We have spiritual gifts because, one, we are able to serve one another. And that's like a very like basic thing. I'm just giving you what's in the Bible, right? So spiritual gifts are given to us to serve one another, according to 1 Peter 4.10, and to build up the church, according to Ephesians 4. Serve one another and build up the church. I'm going to get into a couple big words in a minute. But there are certain people that hold certain views that these things necessarily don't line up with perfectly. So, build each other up and serve each other. That's why we're given spiritual gifts. So therefore, if I've been given the gift of teaching, I would get up front in front of people and I would teach to build them up and to serve them. Right? If you've been given the gift of teaching, you would get up front and do the same thing. To build up the church, to build up the body of Christ. The gifts are given for our relationship with other Christians. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay, great. Um, 
Now, we're going to get into the specific spiritual gifts. So there's a bunch of them that are specifically mentioned in these few passages. And I'll like go through a little bit of them. Some of them are kind of confusing. And to be honest, some of them are hard to kind of tell the difference between. Okay? So um, service is one of them that's mentioned in Romans 12. It, I, that's a spiritual gift that some people are given. That does not mean that, like, oh, I don't have the gift of service, so, like, <laughs> I don't have to serve you. Like, that's not what that means, okay? Like, literally, we have a picture of Jesus leaving his throne in heaven and coming to earth to serve us, okay? So, like, <laughs> that's the example that we're called to follow. However, there are some individuals that are more gifted, and that's, like, where their heart is, and that's, like, something that they can do really, really well, and so they serve other people. My guess is you probably know someone like that. Someone that like literally thrives and loves serving other people. And that's like something that they are able to give to the church. So service is one of them. The next one is teaching. I already mentioned that one a little bit. But that one's kind of obvious, right? Like what I'm doing right now, teaching. Um, does that have to be like you prepared a sermon and then you got up and you taught? No. If you have the gift of teaching, like you could start a club at your school and help lead a Bible study. We have people in here who have started clubs at their schools and they're teaching in those clubs, leading a Bible study in their schools. And so just because you've been giving the gift of teaching, that doesn't mean like you have to go to seminary, you have to do all this, you have to do all this, and then finally someday you'll be able to use your gift. The Holy Spirit doesn't like give gifts and then be like, but don't use it, right? He gives us gifts to use as soon as we become Christians, as soon as we receive the Holy Spirit, we're given gifts of the Spirit. So um, teaching is one of them. Exhortation, that's very similar to teaching. It's encouraging people through Scripture is what exhortation is, so very similar to teaching. Giving, this is the one that everyone wants to have, right? Because it basically kind of means that, like, one, you're very, very generous. But also, to be honest, reading through Scripture, there are some people that, like, just helped the church by contributing money and like donating money. And so like everyone wants this spiritual gift because it means you're kind of like fine and secure financially. And so it's like, oh yeah, I want that gift so that I can be rich and then I'll give some of my money to the church. That'd be awesome spiritual gift. Um, <laughs> that's weird, um, but that's what some people think. Um, but realistically speaking, being generous is something that is really important. Um, in the church. And so the gift of giving, you probably know some people that give a ton. And I'm not just talking about finances. There are people that give finances, but there are probably people that give a ton. Um, in scripture, one of the people that I think of that does this is Theophilus. Does anyone know who that is? Yeah. Who? Luke's guy. Yes. Theophilus um, was basically this rich dude who paid Luke to investigate who Jesus was. And so he paid Luke, Luke was a doctor, and he paid Luke to go around and find out as much as he possibly could and then to write it all down. And that's what Luke did, and that's why we have Luke's gospel. So Theophilus, because he was willing to give to the work of Christ and to the work of the church, we have the gospel of Luke, which is pretty incredible. So the gift of giving is not like a small thing. Um, leadership, that can just be like you're a strong leader. And if you're a strong leader, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. 
There are Christians with the gift of leadership. The Holy Spirit gives them the gift of leadership. And there are people that are not Christians that are strong in leadership, right? So you look at, like, people, anyone. There's, like, so many throughout history. There's so many great leaders. That doesn't mean that every single one of them was a Christian because they were a leader, right? But there are also Christians with the gift of leadership. So if you have the gift of leadership, lead well. That doesn't mean that you need to be put in a position of leadership to lead well. You have friends. Lead your friends well. If you have the gift of leadership, if you notice that when you get interested in something, the people in your friend group also get interested in something, then lead them in the right direction because you might have the gift of leadership, okay? Another one, mercy. It's like, that's a pretty self-explanatory one. You're like very merciful towards people and you're very forgiving towards people and that's awesome and that's a spiritual gift. And when someone's hurting, if you have the gift of mercy, you will probably like be able to console them well and and kind of feel the weight of what they're going through um, when they're going through tough stuff. So the gift of mercy is important. Wisdom, you're smart, you're able to help people. You look at Solomon, right? Incredible man, incredibly, incredibly wise because God gave him that gift. Um, so wisdom is one. Knowledge and wisdom are pretty similar, right? So if you're smart or you're wise or you're wise or you're smart, um, yes, they're both similar. Uh, faith. You probably know people that have, like, an incredible amount of faith, and they're, like, inspiring to you. That is a gift. Those people are a gift to the church. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit to have an incredible amount of faith because of the things that they're able to do. So that's an important one as well. These are all important. Distinguishing of spirits. That sounds <laughs> like a kind of a weird one or a crazy one. Um, really what that has been termed as recently, which I don't like love the term, but is the gift of discernment. Um, there are a lot of people that claim to have the gift of discernment when they have an opinion about something. It's like, oh man, I didn't like that song that we did in church and I have the gift of discernment. So it's obviously God talking to you. Oh, like... <laughs> The gift of discernment just gets thrown around a little bit too, uh, too much. And so that is a gift. Like being able to discern the things of the Lord is a gift. Okay. But it doesn't necessarily just mean you have the right to insert your opinion whenever you want to. Because that is a gift that God has given you or maybe not has given you. And you just claim it because you want to insert your opinion. Um, so the gift of distinguishing of the spirits. Um, helps is, again, very similar to mercy, very similar to service. Um, administration, some people are like, no, there's no way that that's a spiritual gift. Yeah, it absolutely is. Like if you're one of the people that's like super organized and you have to have your planner and you have to have your journal and you have to go through everything and check off your checklist, there's a way that you can be serving the church with that. Like you can be building up the body with that. And so I would encourage you to like lean into what that looks like. Um, evangelism, I have to pause here. Because nobody, like, that doesn't feel, nobody feels comfortable just going up to people and sharing their faith, okay? Nobody feels comfortable doing that until you've done it a bunch. So you can't just hide under the banner of, like, ah, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Like, you're, we're all, as Christians, told to go and make disciples of every nation. So we're supposed to go and we're supposed to carry the gospel to people that don't know Jesus. So you can't just say, well, I don't have that spiritual gift. Like, it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. I should be giving, 
because that's my spiritual gift. Like, that's not, you can't do that, okay? Evangelism is a gift that some people have. We are all called to evangelize. However, there are people in the church that are incredibly gifted in, the, in evangelism. And it's like, it's unbelievable. If you've ever been around someone, they can like get to Jesus in a conversation in like four sentences. You're like at the grocery store and they're like, oh, yeah, um, do you know when the milk goes bad? And then three sentences later, they're like talking about Jesus. And it's unbelievable. And it's like, it is honestly a gift. It is a gift. Some of us wouldn't know if we have that gift because we've never talked to other people about Jesus. So it's, it's like we are all called to do it. But it is a gift also, okay? Um, the last one is shepherd or pastor. That's also a spiritual gift, like shepherding people, loving people, um, pastoring, pastoring a church. That is a spiritual gift. Um, so these gifts, there's 14 of them. These are the ones that are mentioned in those verses. And these are typically what we would say today as the quote-unquote non-miraculous gifts, okay? It does not take a miracle for those things to happen. Then in scripture, we see the miraculous gifts, which is our next slide, and we have a few of these. We have five of these specifically. Um, prophecy, which is mentioned all over. Healing, miracles, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Okay? What prophecy is? Most of the time, when we as Christians think of prophecy, we think of it as like a psychic, right? Like that's what we think of a prophet as. It's like someone who just like knows the future and then tells it. That's not necessarily the case. We see biblical instances of prophecy where people are pretty explicit in and they're accurate in what they prophesy. But we also see instances where it's not necessarily like a date and a time, but it's just something that's a lot more general. And so like, for example, if I were to be sitting in here tonight and this, I'm, I'm not like, okay, I'll just keep going. <laughs> if, I, if I'm sitting in here tonight and I'm teaching, right, and I was like, man, I just really feel like the Lord is telling me to address, like, the issue of pornography while I'm teaching. And I'm like, man, I just really feel like that's something that needs to be talked about tonight. And I don't know why that is, but I just feel like that, that God has that for someone and that, that God needs to speak through me on that issue to someone. That, in that instance, could still be understood as prophecy. That's not necessarily like, hey, um, I have this prophetic word for you, Chris, and I know what you're going to be doing tomorrow night. Like, that's not necessarily what prophecy is, okay? Um, it can be multiple things in multiple different ways, and it's something um, that doesn't necessarily just have to be like psychic readings. That's not, that's not biblical, okay? Um, healings. I think you know what that is, right? <laughs> someone's sick or someone's hurt or someone breaks their leg or something and they are healed. Um, miracles, again, it's something that's like pretty unexplainable outside of the power of God. Um, tongues, tongues is one that is confusing in church today, okay? And I'll get to what it is or to why it's confusing, but the gift of tongues essentially is when someone is uttering sounds or words and it's not necessarily understood by most people, but it is a message from God. And then the other gift would be the interpretation of tongues. And what we're told according to the scripture is that if you're speaking in tongues in a public setting or in church, there needs to be an interpreter. 
And so someone who has the gift of interpreting tongues could then say, here's, here's what they just said. So the gift of tongues is miraculous, and the interpretation of the gift of tongues is also miraculous because you're understanding people's like utterances or these utterances of the Spirit through their mouth, um, and it's a message for the church or an encouragement for the church. So my guess is those five things are things that maybe you're not super familiar with. Maybe you are. Maybe they happen in your church if you go to a different church, um, and maybe they don't. But I'm willing to bet that those are the confusing things, and we're like, well, if those are spiritual gifts and all the other ones we have, what's going on here? Because we see people like a guy by the name of Benny Hinn, and he has the gift of healing, and he has these healing services where all of these people come, and they pay a bunch of money to be healed by him. Um, that is confusing because that doesn't seem to be biblical, right? If, like, we shouldn't have to pay for God to do the work that he wants to do. Um, and so that is a confusing thing, and it becomes a show. And so there are certain ways that we have to test the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So um, the next thing that I just wanted to talk about is miraculous gifts versus non-miraculous gifts. Are they still present today? Are miraculous gifts present today? Are all of the other gifts present today? All of the other gifts are absolutely present today. And now I want to talk a little bit about miraculous gifts. Are they the five that all of a sudden, for some reason, those ones don't happen, but all the other ones do happen? There is a huge spectrum of what people believe, okay? What we have is cessationists, which is over here, cessationism. If something has ceased, what does that mean? It has stopped, right? So people that believe in cessationism or that the miraculous gifts have ceased means that they no longer happen. What someone who is a cessationist would believe is that there were different instances throughout church history, going all the way back to the Exodus in the Old Testament, where God manifests himself in spiritual gifts, the miraculous gifts, and he demonstrates himself in the miraculous gifts, and then they go away. And then later on, when the prophets come and Elijah comes, the miraculous gifts come back for a moment, and then they go away. And there's like these spikes in human history where the miraculous gifts come. And they would say that the last time that we've seen these miraculous gifts was at the onset of the church at the Pentecost, right, where the tongues come and people are speaking in all different languages. They would say that's sort of the last time, and when the apostles, Paul and the other apostles, went around and they did healings, at the beginning of the church, there were no Christians except for those that followed Jesus. Jesus died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and then the church exploded. At that point in time, that would have been, according to a cessationist, the last spike that we have seen was when that's when the miraculous gifts were happening, and since then, we don't see them at all. There are people who are in this camp who are Christians, who are absolutely love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? Those are cessationists. On the other end of the spectrum, we have continuationists or continuationism. What continuationists believe is that all of the gifts that we believe, that we see and that we read, that we read just a few minutes ago, are all continuing to happen today and we see them happening today. And there hasn't been these spikes in history because God has just given us these gifts as his church. 
And so we get to experience the fullness of all of those things today. There are people that have the gift of healing, and they can go around and they can heal, and they can heal, and they can heal, and they can heal because they have the gift of healing. There are people that can speak in tongues everywhere they go. There are people that can interpret tongues every time, and there's people that can prophesy time after time after time. That's what a continuationist would believe. So there's continuationists over here that believe everything is still happening. There are cessationists all the way over here that believe it stopped, and we haven't seen it in 2,000 years. And then there's people all in between. The position that the majority of our church leaders at this church would hold is that the door is not like completely closed. That like cessationism is not necessarily where people line up. The, the place that most people at this church would land, most leaders at this church, most pastors at this church would land is that the door is still like propped open. It's not necessarily all the way closed. It's not necessarily all the way open. So these things, these instances where there could be a healing or there could be tongues or there could be prophecy or there could be interpretation of tongues are all things that could happen today because it says in Matthew 19.28 that with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Right? So that means, therefore, there can be, God can do anything that he wants to do today. Now, is, like, it gets really confusing because it's like, well, then, okay, the gift of healing. Is that something that shows up in someone's life for one instance and then goes away? Or is that something that they have repetitive, repetitive, repetitive? It's hard to say. You hear stories all the time of people in other spaces, in other countries where healing happens. Am I one to say who's here who has no idea what's going on that none of that is true? I don't necessarily think so. I think that there are incredibly credible Christians in other areas that are experiencing some of the miraculous things that we are not experiencing here. And that doesn't mean that I can just say, well, no, that's all a lie. I, I can't say that. So, is the gift of prophecy still happening today? Is the gift of tongues still happening today? Is all that still happening today? The door can't be closed on that. We don't have anywhere in scripture that says the gifts stopped after all the apostles died. Because that's what cessationists believe, is that the apostles were given miraculous gifts, and since then, not, no one has been given those things. Because those things still happen today. Now, it's super, super, super important for us to understand how those things are supposed to happen. If they can still happen today, how should they be happening? How come you come, you go to some churches and everyone in the congregation is speaking in tongues at the same time, and then you go into other churches and everyone is dead silent and they just have their hands in their pockets? Like, how does that make sense? If the gifts are real, if the gifts are happening, if the Spirit empowers us, how does that make sense? It's important for us to understand how in the church we should be using and we should be seeing these gifts being demonstrated. Now, again, this is a spectrum of beliefs, and it's not salvific, okay? So that means our church might have a stance right here, and this is how we see the, what Scripture says, and this is how we interpret it, and this is how I understand it to be true, and someone else could have a different view than that. I'm doing my absolute best to understand the truth behind this book in every single word and sentence. So I will tell you how I best understand it, okay? 
the gifts that are used in the church. If you have your Bible, you can flip to 1 Corinthians 14. There are some very specific ways that we're told these gifts are supposed to be used in the church, okay? In 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 33, it says this. What then, brothers, when you come together for church, okay? When you come together for church, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Again, that's the purpose, to build up the rest of the body. So let me ask you a quick question. If I were to speak in tongues and nobody knows what I'm saying and there's no interpreter, is that building up the body? If I were to speak a prophecy that is not necessarily approved by anyone else in the room and it turns out not to be true at all, is that building anyone up? No, it's not. So there are certain ways that these gifts have to be used to build up the church, okay? So, verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three at most. So this, he's like being really specific of what should happen in church, right? Let there be two or three people. This is like in, in the Bible. I'm not like making these rules up, right? This is Paul giving this to the church in Corinth about how to have orderly church service, okay? So if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, so not necessarily all happening at once. Let them each speak in turn and let someone interpret those tongues. So, I was asked this question at my ordination council and I was thankfully ready because I had already asked someone else th this question and they had answered it for me. But the question was this. So what would you do if you were preaching on a Sunday morning and someone got up and started speaking in tongues? What I would do is say, does anyone understand what this person is saying and can they interpret that and then if they were able to interpret that what I would do is say all right awesome can you guys step out with a couple of the leaders get the message that you have that you believe that God is giving to us give it to the, our leaders and then we'll come back in and have them share that to the church that's the way that I would handle it because we'll go on it is told that it's not supposed to be chaotic and it's supposed to be in an orderly way. And I feel like that that is a very orderly way for it to happen instead of someone coming up here and having it be this chaos where no one really knows what's going on. Some churches that might be norm more normal for someone to be speaking in tongues and there to be an interpreter and it might not feel like chaos. So they might hold a different belief. At our church where we're at right now, that's how I would approach it. I wouldn't say you're a liar or get out of the church. I would say, can anyone interpret this? And if someone says yes, I'd say, awesome, then we might be hearing from the Lord through this, this person. And it might be building us up. So that's how I would approach it. Um, and then it says, going on, um, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in on what is said. So specifically with tongues, if that instance were to happen and someone were to stand up and start speaking in tongues 
and I would say, does anyone understand this person? And everyone would say no. I'd probably just say, um, would you mind just sitting down? Um, we'd like to like get back to the teaching. That's probably how I would handle it in that instance. Because if no one can interpret, it's not building up the church and it's not for us in that moment. And that's what Paul tells us to do, is to return to what we were doing. And then it says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Okay, so that's really, really important because if someone were to come in here and say, look, I'm a prophet from the Lord and I have a message for this church and it's that Jesus is coming back tomorrow at 3.52 p.m. I probably wouldn't give them the microphone and let them come up here and prophesy. What I would do is say, we need people to weigh what your prophecy is, other godly people to weigh what you are saying. And if they were to come in here and say, look, to be honest, I feel like I'm sitting in a room full of people that are all lukewarm. I might, I might say, all right, would you mind stepping out and having a couple of our leaders hear what you have to say and so that we can weigh it? Because that might be something that God is trying to speak to us. So it's, not, it's important for us to understand that we have godly people that are able to understand and to weigh what prophecy is being spoken. It says in verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. That's really important for us to understand. When all of these gifts are happening, it's not supposed to be a place of confusion. It's not supposed to be us coming into church and none of us know what's going on and none of us know what's being said. God is a God, not of confusion, but of peace. So that is one thing that I would use to weigh what is happening in a church. Um, and then also starting in verse 37, it gives us a little bit more insight into this. It says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command from the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That verse in particular, earnestly desire to, to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues is something that I cannot say the door is fully closed. Because if the door is fully closed, I don't know what to do with this verse. Because if the door is fully closed and tongues is no longer happening today, then I would have to say, well, stop speaking in tongues. And I'm explicitly being told by the Spirit of God through Paul to the church of Corinth, do not forbid speaking in tongues. And then verse 40 says this, but... All things should be done decently and in order. So again, we have this picture of it not being a place of chaos, of it being a, pl a place of peace. Church is a place of peace, and it's a place of order. And so it's important for us to understand that miraculous gifts, can they still happen today? I don't think we can say no. Do I think that every single person has the gift of tongues and every single person has the gift of healing? No, I do not think that because scripture clearly tells us that all of us are gifted in different ways. 
but we have to try to understand where we're at right now as a church and what God is speaking to us through his word. And so for me, again, there's a spectrum of people and they can all be believers. But this is where I best understand. Am I perfect? Am I going to like look back on this message in a few years and probably look at some things that I could shift or said differently? Probably. Because I'm constantly going to be growing and this isn't an area that's crystal, crystal clear in scripture. So I'm just teaching what I best understand right now based on my devotion to this book. Okay? So um, if you come from a church where they have different beliefs, hopefully some of what we talked about tonight will you'll be able to apply and like help understand how that works, but they might have something that's different. Um, so this is how I best understand it. This is how our church best understand it. But the last thing that I just want to encourage you in is like a lot of times we get tripped up on stuff like this. And I think Paul constantly takes us back to what's important. He says right after he's talking about the spiritual gifts, right immediately the next sentence after he's done talking about spiritual gifts, which can be really divisive in the church, it can pull us all apart. The next thing that he says in Romans 12, verse 9, is let your love be genuine. So as, and it's not, like in our Bibles, you see a section break there. He's just writing a letter. That's not a section break. He's talking about spiritual gifts, and then the very next thing he says is let your love be genuine for other believers in the church. So don't let this be a divisive thing. And then it says in 1 Corinthians 13, which 1 Corinthians 12 is where he lists a bunch of the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is where he gives the commands for orderly worship and what that should look like. And right in between those two things is 1 Corinthians 13. Do you know what that chapter is about? 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. So right between these two sections on spiritual gifts, he goes back to love. And this is what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So he's going into this saying, look, we can talk about spiritual gifts all you want, but if that's where you get hung up and you don't start loving people and you don't have love in your life, then I'm nothing. Because that's so key and central to the, what it means to be a believer and part of the church is to have love. And he continues on in verse 3, if I give away all that I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. And that's right in the middle of this section on spiritual gifts. He's saying, look, let's not get distracted from the thing that is absolutely most important, which is love. And he literally says in verse 13 of this chapter, right before he goes back into prophecy in tongues, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So my encouragement to you is there's stuff like this that's confusing. And absolutely, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, absolutely, to build up the church, to build up each other. But it all comes back to love. Like, that's the picture that we have of Jesus. 
on the cross. And that's how we're supposed to live as believers. So, like, let's not get caught up in saying, like, that person's not a Christian, that person's not a Christian, um, because they believe this and they believe this. Like, we're called to love one another in the body. That is what is so central to this. So use our gifts to build it up, but more than anything, let's love each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we are super thankful that you give us good gifts. God, we're thankful that you care about us, that you allow us to uh, serve one another, that you allow us to build one another up with the gifts that you've given us. God, I pray that we would actually be a people that uses our gifts. God, you didn't give us a gift to just keep it hidden in our pocket. You gave us gifts so that we can build one another up. So, Lord, you've gifted each and every believer in this room by the power of your spirit. So, God, allow us to be a church and a people that actually uses our gifts. And, God, please help us to be students of your word so that we can dive in and we can understand the things that are difficult and confusing. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that I said tonight that misrepresented your word, that that would fly right out of our minds. And Lord, if there are things that you were speaking through me, Lord, I pray that those things would stick. God, I thank you so much for this command to love, for this reminder to always come back to loving one another. God, you gave us the perfect picture of what love is. And so, Father, we want to worship you.